0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Life Stories, the podcast. Life Stories is a channel devoted to providing our audience with a deeper understanding of the individual behind the persona that we know. I'm your host, Michael Heap, and in the control room, I'm joined by my co host and the creative mastermind, Nilesh Hathi. On our channel here, Nilesh and I are going to delve into the life story of Markham residents who are known in their field of work or By their passion. Now, if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to our podcast, we ask you to please subscribe so you don't miss a single episode.
1: Okay, Michael, I'm just gonna punch myself up. Here we go. So today on this episode, we are joined by Mr. Peter Boggs. Peter is very active, enjoys the aspect of winning in his sports that he plays, uh, but he likes to journey as well. And I think you'll hear he's got a lot of good stories about the journey to when he started curling. He's also a data analyst, and Peter, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you. Great having you, Peter, yeah. Now, you know Nilesh and I from curling. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've curled together, we've worked together in curling. Maybe you can give us uh, a background on how you originally got involved in the sport of curling. Well, I I met Celeste, and
2: she was a curler for about the last 12 years, and she curled in high school. She went to the Ontario Championships in high school. And uh, she was saying, okay, you got to try curling, got to try curling. And it brought up really bad memories <laughs> because my mom and dad were curlers. And we lived in Brantford for about five years and they were curling. And every Saturday night, they'd go to the curling club. And we, my brother and I would have this little old English babysitter. And she would watch the Pig and & Whistle and Lawrence Welk Show. And this is when the NHL playoffs, or NHL is on. But no, we can't watch hockey. We have to watch Pig and Whistle and Lawrence Wilk, so curling to me was always bad memories. It became tainted because of that experience. <laughs> yes, but then Celeste got me into curling and it's been a wonderful, wonderful time.
0: And when you started curling yourself, um, I imagine uh, you're, you're a passionate person, you're an active, competitive person. Did you, did you take lessons or was there a way that you got yourself a acclimatized to curling? <laughs> uh,
2: we're very fortunate now at UCC that we have a learn to curl program. I started curling six years ago, there was no learn to curl. It is, you get on the ice and away you go. And so what I thought was, okay, before I completely make a fool of myself, I'll go ahead and I'll do a practice. So I I booked the ice, I had the ice all to myself. And as you said, I'm a little bit competitive. (laughs) Uh, I think I threw about 36 rocks, trying to get my balance, trying to get the delivery, trying to figure it out. And then the next day, when I got up, my entire arm on the inside <laughs> was black and blue mm-hmm. because you didn't realize that you're trying to balance on that foot. And instead, I'm leaning on the broom with such force. Wow. I bruised it. Well, my arm was the color of this shirt <laughs> on the inside. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I got into curling. It was you, you get thrown in, and away you go.
0: Right.
2: Um, I was very lucky. I had Sally and Greg as my first, my, my skip and vice. Mm-hmm and very experienced curlers oh yeah very good yeah. curlers and they kept saying to me for somebody as big as you why do you throw them short like why am I hogging everything hmm. and so it took me a while to figure out that but we did make it we won that division and we went to championship week we didn't win but mm-hmm. had a great time and ever since that point I've caught the bug on curling and you meet great people like you guys and everyone else you have a great social you it makes the winter go by so much more fun Mm-hmm. We've got a phenomenal club, and uh, it's just a lot of fun.
1: Now, Peter, tell us what the importance of having a mentor. You said about Sally and Greg mentoring you in any aspect you do. How important is a mentor having to help you along in any sport you've tried or something?
2: That's the. I mean, they've got, they, they have to give you enough learning to give you guidance, but you've got to be able to do it on your own. You don't want somebody always having the training wheels on who's constantly at you, constantly at you. And what I really liked about Greg and Sally, they'd give me one thing. Okay, instead of trying to focus on your balance and this and this and this, it's okay, just do this. Look at the delivery this moment and just focus on one piece at a time, get that down and then move on to the next piece. And you just start the building block over and over again. Mm-hmm. And you start to build up your, the, the pieces of being able to deliver the shot sweep mm-hmm. um, but it's exactly the same as in a business career. Business career, over the years, you build up your toolkit, I call it. And I've got a toolkit in my head that after 35 years, I can get thrown into almost any analytic situation mm-hmm. and figure it out because I've had good mentors along the way and I've, I've built up my, my, my skill
0: set piece by piece. Right, right. And, and I think you, you bring that skill set, your data skill set as well as your competitive skill set Uh, to the front in many different activities or sports what are some of the other things that you like to do other than curling
2: going way back in time it was high school football high school basketball then I got into triathlons for a while and did that for for a couple years hurt myself Mm -hmm. Um, and then right now it is curling during the winter and then bike riding in the summer and hiking I've absolutely fallen in love with hiking Mm -hmm. Celeste and I were out on the Rockies last year I've been out there for the last three years, my daughter's out there. And hiking, there's no better place I I think in the world or more beautiful than the Canadian Rockies. Mm -hmm. When you're able to go hiking and and just enjoy the outdoors and the scenery, there's nothing like it in the world.
1: Now, Peter, you and I have cycled together. (laughs) (laughs) And man, I can't believe how you climb those hills. What gets you to that point of being able to do, it seems effortlessly, for you to climb the hills when you're cycling?
2: First thing's the mindset. Hills, I I always say, hills are your friend. Okay? Yeah. There might be a big hill, but it's getting to the top of the hill. It's using your gears. It's using everything to to work your way through it. And hills just make you better. The better you can climb a hill, the better you can ride on any type of terrain. Mm -hmm. And it just builds a focus. And you learn your cadence. You learn how to work your gears properly and on my bike there's watts and you know what level of watts you don't want to go after over top because if you go too hard you're going to burn your legs out sure and if you burn your legs out then the rest of your ride is going to be miserable so you've got to find that balance between hard enough to make the hill your friend right but then keep until you get more friends as you keep riding along
0: so the watts are at data input to what you're doing there you're using your your data analysis skills to be a better cyclist oh yeah
2: that I mean that's revolutionized my bike riding was the combination of the watts and the cadence together Mm -hmm. you know how do you keep your cadence in that 90 to 92 range and you keep in my case keep your watts below 240 because 240 is where you start to burn Mm -hmm. Um, on on some of the big hills yes you're gonna go well over 240 but you want to balance it so that, that you keep a lot in reserve
0: sure sure Now, cycling is one of three parts of a triathlon, and many of us are familiar with the term Ironman triathlon, and we may or may not know what that entails, but it's four kilometers of swimming, 180 kilometer ride, and at the end, you're on a complete marathon, which is 42 kilometers. Now, I've done a couple of marathons in my day, and that was, I thought, an incredible accomplishment, but an Ironman has all of those three things together at the same time, And Peter, you have done an Ironman triathlon. I did Ironman Canada. Canada. So maybe take us through that experience. It must have been incredible.
2: There are two parts to the the Ironman. There is the actual day of the event, but there's everything that leads up to that day. And it's that planning from the beginning. It it takes about a year. So the previous year, I I did a half iron. And then I got into a little bit of sibling rivalry with my brother. and uh more than a little bit we've been very competitive all of our lives and uh my buddy he had done some triathlons Mm -hmm. and so my buddy and i we put together we hired a coach okay and i had a picture from the very beginning which is me on the bike and i forget the words around it but at the end of it it was Mm -hmm. enjoy the journey because every day you're building towards that date Mm -hmm. and i had the date circled on the wall i knew the date you have to be ready for right and you know Thursday mornings, my, my run before, the off, before going to work was 20 or 25K. Mm-hmm. On the weekend, we'd do, we'd do a swim. We'd swim across Lake Wilcox and back. Then right. we'd ride usually about 125, 145K, sure. then do the run around the lake of about 8K. Right. That was, that was Saturday
0: morning for fun. Yeah. By the way, for the kids at home, don't try this, by the way. This is very <laughs> exhausting for most of us. Sorry, continue, Peter. The
2: amazing part, though, is the actual day. And it's the people that make it. Right. Like, you've got similar people to yourself. We come from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. Like we had th- the stories of people. We had a, a, cardi- a, a heart transplant patient. We had ca- cancer patients, or cancer survivors, uh, police officers. I mean, th- I did it, there were 2,400 of us. Wow. So imagine 2,400 people standing on the beach
0: mm-hmm.
2: and you're looking out over the water and you all hit the water at the same time. Mm. And it is just an, a, an absolute blast. And anybody who, who has marginal interest, right. take a look at it. Sure. Because then you meet amazing people and, and the energy level of the day and even the post party and, and everything, it, it is a spectacular moment.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: now, Peter, you know, when I do live productions, it's like after you're all done, you've like worked so hard to get there and then it's sort of a letdown, or what do I do next? What's that feeling after a triathlon after you're done what's that feeling the next day two days or a week
2: mine was a little different um a lot of people go into euphoria and then they also drop off i had an injury i injured myself coming off the bike Mm -hmm. i uh, re re re-injured a calf and so i I, and i was racing my brother i had him beat (laughs) (laughs) and uh but when i came off the bike i pulled my calf and i sat back and went okay i can quit at this point or i can hobble on so i should have marathoned in just under four hours mm-hmm. um, i did not and i was able to hobble for about 16 miles until the pain became excruciating and then i walked
0: okay.
2: and it is the most amazing eight mile walk of my life with people cheering um, I remember one guy because he got people all over the, the event. Right. I remember one person yelling at me, um, "Pain is temporary. <laughs> An Iron Man is forever." Right. Unfortunately, I did a lot of damage. Um, I was fine. I, uh, you know I had a great time in the event, all of this, but six weeks later, I went out for a run and, and I, I injured my back from, from that, mm. so i couldn 't run again. But then you find other things to do.: Sure. So then you, you take on the biking, you take on curling, other right. things. Right. But, you know, the post-party on, on the Ironman, just to hear the stories of people. Right,
0: exactly. Now, And I can relate to some of that, having done a couple of marathons I did in New York and Chicago. And just, you're right, the, the people along the route. And the, when I did it in, in Chicago and New York, there was bands playing. There was just people, all every neighborhood, they were out supporting you and cheering you on. It just felt like they were lifting you. Oh, yeah. It's really the the incredible power of human uh, support. Just anybody doing an Ironman has to be a little bit crazy, (laughs) but
2: you also have to have an energy level. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing is,
0: you know, people help each other, even in the race. Right. Yeah. So getting back to current times, I, I know during COVID, a lot of us were searching for things to do and hiking became a thing that many of us did. And I believe you were one of those and uh you discovered a few hikes fairly close to home maybe in southern Ontario can you tell us about some of those you know in Markham we're really lucky we, we
2: we've got I'll, I'll go to cycling for a moment we've got phenomenal cycling you know we're up at, at Angus Glen we can ride from there all the way up to Lake Simcoe through, back through Egypt and and play you know we've got great riding through the moraines hiking you know, during COVID, yes, we, we discovered all the Rouge River and, and all that, but we're also Mono Mills up by, by Orangeville, okay. beautiful, a little one called Sleepy Hollow, mm. which is just west of the city, Oh, okay. and then all the waterfalls along Hamilton, like Hamilton's the waterfall capital of, of the world, <laughs> and which a lot of people don't realize. Nobody knows that, and, yeah. and we're not talking little dribs and drabs, we're talking really nice waterfalls right. cascading down like again we're very very fortunate to be in canada to be in this area
0: sure you know all the things we have in canada right and and you've also experienced that same uh hiking uh bug out west in the rockies yeah and uh, i'm sure you've got a few stories from out there
2: the hikes are phenomenal no question about it i did learn a big lesson though there was one i wanted to do um and and i've and it, it's a, it's a mountain. it's a little one called Mount Roberta. Nobody's ever heard of it. Um, Mount Roberta? Mount Roberta. Okay. And even when I went to the ranger station and said, I want to climb Mount Roberta, they'd never even heard of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But uh, it, it's this little obscure, it's not very high, it's uh, 658 meters, right. so not bad. And I did it because that was the 40th anniversary of my mom passing away and her name was Roberta. Right. So I thought, okay. And so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll just do the hike by myself. Left the car down at the bottom of the road, mm-hmm. put my name and, and number in in case something happened. And uh, I start the hike, and I have my app. And as I'm going on the app, there is the trail becomes a non-trail. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> and unfortunately, I also I, I read the reviews later, which was I sh- yeah I should have read them before. <laughs> okay. <laughs> unfortunately, I got very very lost, and um, my GPS wasn't working. I wandered for a long time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I think I wandered around for about an hour, maybe a little bit more. Right. But I had I had the presence to know, okay, if I stay at this elevation in the trees and I walk in this direction, I should be uh, I'll hit something eventually. <laughs> okay. And so yes, I did eventually hit something, and uh, because it looks like animal trails. Right. So I did get back, and then I looked at the review, mm-hmm. and one of the reviews wa- posted by somebody was somebody hooked up a camera to the back of a jackrabbit. What? There are no trails.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh.
2: But then again, I mean, you asked the question about work. Then what I did is, I, is I, I, I got a guide. And Stephen is phenomenal. Like we spent a lot, we spent an hour just beforehand, before he even did the hike, okay. going through how he prepared for the, the, the hike. Right. And the notes he made, the elevation, the maps, everything he had. Mm-hmm. And then even he made a comment, you know, we're bushwhacking. <laughs> And I've got a great picture where I'm sitting on the very edge, and he's taking a picture from behind me with the panorama of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And it's my favorite picture of all time. Wow. And, you know, at that moment, I could think back about my mom and, and, and stories and things like that. Sure. And it was just, I could have given up the first time when I got lost. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things you do it because it's part of family. Right. And no regrets, obviously. Oh, <laughs> never. Anytime you get out hiking, there are no regrets. Right.
1: Now, Peter, um, what's the highest peak you've done?
2: Not that high. Um, Sarai was 1600 meters. Okay. So that's what, I can't do the math in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a whole bunch it's of feet. It's high. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, it was, it, but again, it was fun. There, there is a long slog where you're in a gully and you just kind of put your head down and you, and you keep working your way up, working your way up. Mm-hmm. But it's worth it when you get to the top, Right. like the, the view from up there overlooking the lakes and sure. there aren't that many people who were up there that day
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that's the other nice thing if you go hiking go hiking early in the morning early in the morning there are very few people who want to get up that time
0: right.
2: and you get mountains and things like that to yourself
0: sure.
2: uh, last year I did a hike with my son-in-law and then it's an obscure one called uh, Sinkfoy. Okay. and Abram has done over 70 summits he's a scrambler and a an
0: ex- scrambler is is what
2: it is when you have no ropes okay. you but a scramble is when your hands and feet, and a, on, a, a level, on a steep incline yeah, and, and a level one basically you, you fall and, and you're just going to hurt yourself. level five, and he showed me a couple of pictures of level fives he's done. Mm-hmm. you sneeze and you're dead, like there is no turning back, okay. so he took me on one and it, it's a level three
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it, it was funny we there were five false summits, and the <laughs> Last year, the the fires were burning on the other side of the river and so we kept an eye on those to make certain there was no problem and uh, we got up to the second false summit and I look at the next one and I simply turned to him and said, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. I've got a book in my backpack, I'll just sit here and and he said, no, you know, I know a route, we can work around the side and we worked our way around, got up to the top and that's the other thing about hiking. We hiked that one, it took us about five and a half hours, and 14K in total. And you end up having phenomenal conversations, things you would never in your million years ever talk to your son in law about. Mm, right. But you get into those conversations because you're outside, you're comfortable, and again, recommend hike the Rockies anytime you can. Right. Get off the beaten path.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, now, okay. So now you've done the triathlon. You cycle a lot. You mountain climb. Have you rock climb?
2: I used to a long time ago. Rock. I used to be. I used to do indoor rock climbing. Okay. And I did a little bit of outdoor.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, from all those experiences, what do you, what do you take away from that?
2: To me, nothing's impossible. Like. It, that's it's it's the journey. It's the joy of doing things that, that norm, like I'll say normal people don't want to do.
0: Sure.
2: I mean I've ridden 189 kilometers on my bike. Um, I've walked on. I've done the fire walk where you walk on coals that are sixteen hundred degrees. Okay. <laughs> um, y- you just want to do things that are are different. Things that are going to push you.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And what's the next thing? You asked about Iron Man. Then the question is, when I finished Iron Man, it was, yeah, that, that was great. I finished it. Now, what's my next one?
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Like, you're always looking for where's that next challenge? In business, you know, where can I, 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 I take on a problem that nobody's figured out before?
0: Right, right.
2: Where can I, you know, when Celeste and I go traveling, we go to obscure places. Mm-hmm. Like, even in Rome, we will find little nooks and crannies. In Colombia, it's the same thing. We, we just will walk. 14, 15 kilometers and just find new little quirky things off the beaten path. And that's what makes life so much fun. Sure.
0: Well, and you mentioned your work. Uh, You work in the field of data analytics and you mentioned that you're utilizing data to solve problems. And now way back when, when you were just starting your career, I believe there was an, an interesting experience that you had with Canada's Wonderland which is a theme park just north of Toronto, and I believe that was early in your career, if I'm not mistaken. It was in university.
2: And I was very fortunate, I went to University Waterloo, and they were the first ones to have a co-op program. Mm -hmm. And I, my mom said, okay, focus, don't play football at university, focus, get into co-op. And I was fortunate enough, I I, I got one of, a handful of positions for co-op. And so I did urban planning, I taught high school, and then I, Got the market research job at Canada's Wonderland before the park even opened, mm-hmm. and my interview—I still remember. There was another person being interviewed, myself, with the director, and we walked around the park for three hours. And uh, have you ever been on the Dragon Fire, mm-hmm. the looping coaster? Right. They had just finished sandbag testing it, okay. And I think only two other people had ever been on it. Mm-hmm. And during the interview, the somebody said, Do "You want to go on it?" And so the director of marketing myself said, yeah, we're in all, all day long. <laughs> I think that's probably the reason I got the job. The other person interviewing wasn't going to touch the ride.
0: Sure. And so Presumably I, no sandbags were, were hurt in the previous tests prior to you? I don't think there were any. I don't think any sandbags. They was didn't lost. tell you that. Yeah, they didn't tell us that part of it. But that's really where
2: you, you talk about it, where your career begins. That one moment is where I learned the power of data. You know, believe it or not, we were collecting postal codes from... We were interviewing people at the front gate. We were one of those people getting the postal code, getting some data. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: But with that postal code data that was used to actually rebuild the entire marketing plan of Canada's Wonderland because three years later the attendance just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And I went back and I took all of the, the postal code data and we didn't have big computers or anything at that point and I hand calculated the penetration of all the postal codes in, a, in Toronto and across Ontario, hand mapped it, uh-huh. identified where the problems were. The, the original consulting firm out of California that did the, the analysis overestimated the, the population by, by 2.5 million people. They thought that there were 10 million people within 300 kilometers, which there are but that's if you can walk across lake ontario from cleveland you can get to to wonderland (laughs) (laughs) they completely overestimated it they looked at something called the 400 and all the traffic going on the 400 and thought "Oh, those people will go to wonderland well we have cottages Mm -hmm. you know so there are basic intelligence that you add to the numbers but that's where i caught the data-driven marketing bug and from there i built loyalty programs built huge programs, CRM programs with agencies, um, and now I work very much with, with postal code base, uh, data mm-hmm. and building segmentation models, building clean rooms, bringing client data together to, to make wonderful insights.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, Peter, it would be interesting to hear your perspective. There's a lot of talk about AI and the use of AI now, and, and everybody's like scared, even the uh, person who's from OpenAI, CEO says, we have to be worried. What's your perspective on that?
2: We also talk about AI and machine learning at at, at our company because that's the buzzword that everybody's using right Mm -hmm. now. Yes, probably sometime in the future, it will get more and more traction, but you still have to have the brains behind it. You have to know the why. You know, anybody can do the what or or the how, which is what the machine does, Mm -hmm. but you have to be able to answer, ask the right question. Why are we really doing this? What do we want to get at? How are we piecing the right data together to put into the AI, to put into the machine learning? Without that knowledge that we bring, the machine is just regurgitating what, what we're asking it to do. Right. And in analytics, that's why you've got to have the mind, and you've got to have the, the business knowledge, you've got to take the time to delve into the questions mm-hmm. to let the machine do what the machine does really well. I mean, what I did back in University at Wonderland I could do that now in probably 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. That took me weeks and weeks of w- of work to do and imagine I'm hand mapping
0: right. all, the,
2: <laughs> all all the penetration mm-hmm. and the other thing we found going back to wonderland was transportation routes everything. Right. You know, that now I could do in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. But again, you have to know the why what you want to get to. Sure. So the AI yes it's going to come it's going to help. But it's it's only going to move us to where we want. We need the answers. Right, right.
0: Well, I know you touched on uh, your experience, uh, co-op experience at University of Waterloo. You mentioned you were at the, the very beginning of that. And what's interesting is you and I both share the fact that we went to University of Waterloo. We were both in co-op programs. Oh, I did not. know that. And, well, I'm telling you now. <laughs> and I was also a person who started in one discipline and ended in another. I started in accounting. I spent three work terms in an accounting firm. I said, I don't want to be an accountant. <laughs> and then I switched to computer science where I still am today. And th- again, that's the beauty of the co-op program that you can do that uh, without having to graduate, take a job and then realize it's not where you want to be.
2: Oh, without it, my, I
0: really thought I was going to be an urban
2: planner. Right. And, I, and I did work terms up in Thunder Bay and Peace River, Alberta. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's interesting, but I drank a lot of coffee. <laughs> and didn't really do a lot of nothing really came out of it sure whereas in data-driven
0: marketing Mm -hmm. you can see the results yeah exactly exactly fascinating well we've got a lot more commonality than we thought peter and curling (laughs) and curling of course anyway now it's time for a section we call rapid fire Uh uh-oh
1: Peter, slide back here. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fire, curly, draw or hit? Hit. <laughs> Country music or rock music?
2: Oh, it's got to be old classic rock. Uh,
1: cake or pie?
2: Oh, pie. Rhubarb custard pie, to be specific.
1: <laughs> Say a word in Spanish. See? Si. Okay, that's very easy. Star Wars or Star Trek?
2: Oh, Star. Star Trek Next Generation is by far the best. Wow. Dogs or cats? Oh, dog all day long. I've had six. And I've had four cats, but dogs are better.
1: Um, have you ever worn socks with sandals? No, no, never. That's, that's no, faux pas. <laughs> what is your hidden talent? Oh boy,
2: hidden talent not whistling and it's not singing it's easy to tell you what it's not
1: (laughs) Uh, cooking cooking yeah that's a good hit in town Uh, coffee or tea coffee all day
2: espresso actually espresso double espresso Uh,
1: what is your go-to karaoke song I don't sing but there must be a karaoke song what does Celeste make you go sing
2: if it's a karaoke song it would be um, there are two of them life is a highway by Tom Cochran yeah or uh, Hey, 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 it's just an ordinary day. There you go. Great big Steve. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Great band.
0: Well, those were very specific and very clear answers. So you've probably been uh, the most direct in terms of our rapid fire contestants. So congratulations, uh, Peter. And, and thank you. Thank you for being part of this episode of Life oh. Stories Market. We really appreciate it. Thank you. This has been fun. And, and I know that you're, we're both Waterloo grads. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> So if you have uh, out there, if you have an idea for a guest with a great story, please contact us at ideas at If you would like to sponsor Life Stories Markham, please get in touch with us at info at lifestoriesmarkham.ca. Now whether you're listening to the podcast or watching us on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. That way you won't miss an episode. And you can watch all the episodes there and if you love what Peter was saying you can listen to it again and again. Uh, This uh, program is produced by Nilesh Hathi Media and you can reach Nilesh at nileshathi at gmail.com. Now all this information including links to be able to look at all the episodes are available on our website which is lifestoriesmarkham.ca Thanks for joining us, until next time.